Hello and welcome to the World Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is my co-host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hedge, as they say in Denmark. <laughs> that's, that's it, that's all my Danish gone. You didn't uh, pick up any fun swear words. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Tonight we head to Denmark uh, for our third entry in the this uh, spin-off from our, from our main show, the Asian Cinema Film Club, as we look at the 2012 Danish psychological drama, The Hunt, starring uh, Mads Mikkelsen and directed by Thomas Vinterberg. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen here starring as a kindergarten teacher who finds himself accused of sexually assaulting one of his pupils leading him to be ostracized by the local community as mistrust runs wild and accusations are are the word of the day had you ever seen uh, the hunt before because this has been one that's been on my uh, watch pile for quite some time um it's been on my watch pile since 2012 i remember people telling me about this movie and that i should watch it and i just I'd never got round to it, even though big fan of Mads Mikkelsen. Probably because I knew Thomas Vinterberg was part of the Dogma 95 movement. I thought I probably wouldn't like it. But as it turned out, I didn't even know what this film was about, mate. So I'd, in my head, I thought it was going to be something like Most Dangerous Game or something like that, that he was going to be hunted through the woods. But I wasn't expecting a... Like you say, a sort of a, a a drama about a a man falsely accused of um, uh, diddling kids, and that's one way of putting it. I guess I, I, I can think of another way of saying it. Um, and isn't it wonderful? <laughs> it's, it's it's not very Dogma ninety five at all. It's a beautifully made film, not just acted, but sort of you know all, all the all the limitations of Dogma ninety five have clearly been thrown out the window by Mister Vinterberg and um, wonderfully acted. And yeah, I'm really glad finally got to watch it. How about you? Did did, did it did it rise to the top of your pile? As I said, this is uh, one that I've been wanting to see for some time. I think mainly because I've slowly been working my way through uh, Matt's sort of like film career outside of what he's obviously done in Hollywood and most recently he did um, we obviously gave a memorable tennis Hannibal Lecter in Hannibal and it's funny when you obviously have this you look at what he's obviously been doing in in Hollywood and he's been playing obviously these charismatic villains and you then go and look at the work that he was uh, doing in his uh, native Denmark and the like these these fun comedies you've got things like Man and Chicken and Other Round which is currently in the process of being remade with Leonardo DiCaprio and you just realise that he's this actor who's got such charisma um, that he and he's able to really sort of like turn things around he can if he wants to be like really intense and scary he can do that and at the same time he's got this sort of like charisma to burn really it's the sort of like that rare sort of uh, charisma that you see in people like like uh Bitakashi katano these really sort of on the surface is unlikely sort of uh, sort of actors that you would you would think could command the, the screen the way that they do and certainly when you look at these uh, certainly his Danish outputs it's really when you start to realise just how good an actor he is um, and I didn't realise for like uh, for years before that um, he I had originally seen him in uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's Pusher yeah he's in the first two Pusher films that's right uh, um, yeah he plays uh, Tony yeah so I think that's where he became initially famous Um this year he was in a very famous um this twenty twelve same year as the hump he was in a royal affair, which is another film which is really highly regarded sort of internationally but he's also managed to be in a marvel movie uh he's in the rogue one the the possibly the best star wars film of all time there you go there's a there's a there's a there's a statement for you um He's in Casino Royale, isn't he? He's Le Chiffre in yeah. Casino Royale. Um, 
uh, what else? Oh, he's also he also yeah, he's also in Death Stranding, the computer game. <laughs> he is, which was my uh, my lockdown game of choice. I obviously did the Animal Crossing thing, mm. and then I I moved on to Death Stranding, which is a, a phenomenal game. And when you can't go anywhere, to have this game where you basically wander around the wilds of Greenland, um, it's just was such an incredible experience and that when you especially when you look at the cast who's who's in that because it's also like they got Guillermo del Toro as you said Mads Mikkelsen in it um thinking from The Walking Dead whose name I can't remember now and I can't remember either because I was going to call him Thingy from The Walking Dead as well <laughs> hold on I'll tell you what his name is his name is Reed, um, Norman Reedus isn't it yeah you got Norman Reedus who yeah, it's uh, from this bizarre friendship with uh, Kojima is the fact that the pair are now like, working on various projects together. They were originally working on like the Silent Hills reboot and then they did Death Stranding and they've got another game in the works as well. So, But um, as for Matt Wilson, I mean, he's currently going to be in the upcoming Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which I'm sure we're all really I, excited about. I, I've got to be honest with you, I couldn't care less, but you never know, it might be brilliant. Um, <laughs> it might be, <laughs> but as um as with this book, has obviously provides us a chance to sort of watch a lot of stuff that's been sort of lingering on uh, the watch pile for some time. It felt like sort of like the perfect time to finally pull the trigger and watch this film. Do you watch a lot of Danish cinema? At all, <coughs> not not really Danish cinema. I am a big fan of Scandinavian cinema, so probably the whole Nordic noir stuff. I am quite a fan of of that um so and and i probably watch more norwegian films so sort of after asian cinema which gets you know obviously because of our other show probably gets more heavily weighted than it should and obviously i watch a lot of standard hollywood fare i probably watch british cinema then spanish cinema and then it's probably scandinavian cinema is probably the uh and when I say Spanish, it's probably Spanish language rather than le- literally Spain. Like last time we talked about a Mexican movie, didn't we? <clears throat> but yes, so I do. I do like the uh, the sort of snowy aesthetic. But I think most of the things I watch, things like Let Let the Right One In, that's a favourite film of mine, which we might talk about another time. I do like all the things like the TV shows, like The Bridge and... Um, the killing. I like all that kind of thing. Um, which this kind of has that kind of feel to it. <coughs> because obviously it's set in rural rural Denmark. Which is pretty much the same as rural Norway, isn't it? Or rural, rural Sweden. So, yeah, 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 but no, but yeah, but I think is the, uh, is the conclusion there. Uh, well, here Mickelson plays Lucas, who's a member of the of a small town. It's also a very sort of close knit rural community. Um, he's got an ex wife who he pretty much gets along with well, as well as a teenage son, Marcus, and he's well regarded in the local community, and certainly is by the young children he works with at the local kindergarten. It's however through here that. Uh, he befriends the daughter of his uh, best friend Lucas, um, called uh, Clara, and one day she d- sort of uh, takes his gestures of friendship as a uh, meaning a bit more and develops kind of a little bit of a crush on him. And uh, when he rebukes her advances, um, decides that uh, she's going to lash out in her way and claims that he exposed himself to her and this leads the town into kind of a moral panic as they believe work on the principle that children don't lie which is coming to this as a British view it, um, where we have a very different stance of children lie about everything it made this had a really interesting <laughs> angle really that was that was when I was watching this I think well me, me and you are both parents of, of children you've got two sons I've got two daughters and the one thing I think that we learn as parents is that children are more than capable of lying. But in this instance, yeah, so there's that sort of the, the, I don't know if she's the head teacher of the primary school or she's the main administrator. Some of the roles aren't very clear. Um, for example, like Nadja, the, the lady that he 
sort of starts having an affair. Well, he starts, it's not an affair. They're not cheating on anyone. But I think she's a <clears throat> she's like an immigrant, isn't she, from somewhere? I guess from Eastern Europe. But I don't know if she's a cleaner or another teacher. That the, the, the lots of things aren't very well defined. Anyway, this you know she she doesn't want to believe it, but she overhears a conversation where he's flirting with Nadia, and then decides that yes, children always tell the truth. And then, of course, she gets people in that she knows, child psychologists, that ask really leading questions. Yeah. And basically, <clears throat> he hasn't got a lawyer or anything. He's accused. And then they're stuck in this position. I mean, it, it's kind of interesting. The film doesn't really demonise anybody because we know he didn't do it. Right, it, it, it's just a nice guy that was doing nice things for people, and he was looking after Clara. Had issues, right? She like she wouldn't step on cracks, and she'd get lost. And he was just being a nice person. And Clara liked his dog as well, which, as a British oh, person, yeah. a dog a dog called Fanny is fucking hilarious. But <laughs> it never gets old, does it? Frank? It's all like the same way that in the Famous Five, it's sort of like Aunt Fanny. Yeah. Um, and the Americans have fanny packs, which. <laughs> Yeah, it never. It ne- I remember my first time I was in America. Uh, episode of the nanny, you know, with Fl- uh, Fran Drescher, and she was talking about a fanny pack, and I was just going, "What the hell is this?" It was my first exposure to real American culture, and uh, yeah. Anyway, they're in this position where they think something might have happened. <coughs> you can't just brush it under the carpet, but he can't keep working there if he did it. Even though he's innocent until proven guilty, she has to tell the other parents. Well, she has to tell Clara's mum and dad, and she has to tell the other parents, and the other teachers have to know. And by doing that, by trying to be right by Clara, she can't be right by Lucas. And unfortunately, fortunately, again, this could have been a completely different film, right? Which, but they he's automatically ostracised. Guilty before he's done anything. There's, you know, we know he's innocent. The police, once they start arresting him and investigating stuff, it it's cleared up in minutes. But because he's never formally accused of anything, he's never made innocent. It's really complicated stuff. <coughs> yeah, at the uh, same time, I mean, he has the the fact is that nobody um, tells him what he's supposed to have done. Because there's this real secrecy regarding the investigation. The fact that the authority figures all believe that they're protecting the victim by not telling him uh, what's happened. But at the same time, because they weren't going to tell the parents, it gets around this this village, like um, Chinese whispers, and suddenly other children are started making claims as well because the children like to copy other children. And the whole time this guy's life is just being like absolutely destroyed his friends don't trust him they all believe that this uh that he's gonna he's gonna abuse this little girl and like you said the only thing he's guilty of is being nice to her the fact that he acknowledges that her parents are in a hard time of things and they're constantly arguing and then you know he just looks out for the kid and even like when he sees the lights outside and um he phones phones his uh friend Theo up and he's sort of like he can hear him arguing that suddenly he's sort of like I can hear you having a bit of a ruckus. <laughs> yeah, some of the um trans some of the subtitles. I, I watched this on um I can't remember I watched this on, what service I watched it on, but um yeah, some of the subtitles are quite funny. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure that's not what he said. <laughs> but that's how it's been translated. But yes, he's um and, and Clara doesn't understand what she's really accused him of either. And she's desperate. You know, she just wants to go around his house and walk Fanny. Um, again, we walk the dog because it just means so, so much different to us. But and because he doesn't know what he's done, he doesn't know where the boundaries are anymore. Um, and people genuinely ask questions. Like Nadja, the, girl, the lady he's sort of started going out with. She doesn't believe it, but she has to ask him, are you a pervert <laughs> or something like that, she asks him. And, and that drives him further and further down a rabbit hole. Meanwhile, um, as you said, he's a, he's a divorcee. Um, it, the, there's a the whole issue around his son, around the custody. Um, but they phoned his fucking ex-wife, who doesn't even live in the village, 
to tell her that that's what he's been accused of. So his son knows before he does. Um, I mean, luckily, his son absolutely believes him and becomes a bit of a, you know, comes and runs away to be with him. But they get told, you know, neither of you are allowed to shop in the supermarket. And he gets beaten up. And somebody kills Fanny. Yeah, and- it's certain, things certainly escalate. Because, I mean, the mm. film itself is bookended by this the year hunt the start and the end to end of the film and that the title of hunt serves as the passage of time the fact that most of this takes place at christmas means that this is also one for the alternate christmas list so uh it's like they were die hard right <laughs> happy holidays folks <laughs> yeah yeah it is so, so it takes place over a year like like you say so sort of the, there's a there's a sort of ceremony that's going on sort of a village practice where the young men have become men, they get given a gun, and they go out and hunt deer. So the hunt, you're right, it has got a dual purpose. There's, the, there's this hunting yeah. act, act of um, this ritual's going, but also it's all standing for a witch hunt as well, where, where for the rest of the year he's, you know, there's a witch hunt against him. So it's kind of, I, I think it literally does mean that, Jagton in, in Danish, some, something along those lines. So it's got this wonderful duality about it. And yeah, although although the film sort of seems to take place over a few weeks within that year, because we have a skip forward at the end, don't we, of, of an undetermined amount of time where things have potentially got a bit better. But yeah, that you know, and for us delicate Brits, mate, there had to be notes on the film that said, uh, yes, real deer were killed in this, but it was all part of the natural culling which has to happen, and it's just interesting, isn't it? I just remember the um, Kim Kim D. Um, Kim D. Yeah, that movie, um, The Isle, which people were gutting fish, which you know that they caught, which caused no end of oh my god, this is terrible. We are really protected against any scenes of animal death in the UK. Even yeah, though... um, anything that can be perceived as animal cruelty is the current mm. tipping point for the BBFC. Uh, before it used to, back in the days of James Furman, it used to be all kinds of weird things such as like eastern weapons, blood on breasts. <coughs> Yeah, I mean the whole. It just brings me back, and when they say like children don't lie, and it brings me back to like when we had the video nasty scandal, and they would ask all children, "Is like, have you seen a video nasty?" And the kids, not wanting to seem not cool amongst their friends, would make up movies they've seen, and these government officials would like take it as like, "Oh my god, there's like these movies that these kids are seeing." They because they had no clue what they're supposed to be looking for because it's all like hysteria. And I, I remember as a kid, my, as I was a kid during that time, and, you know, there'd be a kid at school, and this would be a, what I would call junior school, so pre-11, and, like, one kid would have been up, and he'd have watched um, Halloween, the John Carpenter movie, right? And he'd have been allowed to stay up and watch it with his parents, and he would have come and told us about this film that he'd seen. Now, the thing is, mate, he probably didn't stay up and watch Halloween, right? <laughs> he probably <laughs> he probably just said that to sound like the big man and tell us all these things that happened in this movie. And it's all imagination and, you know, he gets it from comic books and movies. Maybe he heard some of it through the floor or something like that. Or his big brother told him something about it. And then we've all, you know, absolutely true. You know, then we've all seen Halloween. We've all, I didn't watch Halloween actually until I was like, at university, and I did a an essay on it because I couldn't have watched it because it wasn't on TV. That I, you know, I was the video world didn't really really exist until I was a bit older. So I can see how these rumours spread, right? And that's what happens to with Clara. She starts saying things, and they start talking. And and let's face it, her brother's a little dickhead who know was it Thorsten or something his name. No, oh yeah, one. because his um his friends, they're both the him and his friend are, are looking at uh, porn on the iPad, and their friend thinks it's really funny to to show Clara these images, um, and like you can basically show her, it's like oh look here's an erect penis, and Clara takes these details and when she's like making it making up stories about about him, she's like using these details, um. And it's only sort of like further helped by the fact that when she's being interviewed 
that as you said there are these very leading questions and she's a child she doesn't understand what she's like nodding along to and they're just basically like they're like covering for what she's not saying and it's like oh this is obviously she's abused and you know what victims they like cloud their judgment and they hide it away and deny that things happened and and i believe there is I don't think this is a, a literal adaptation of something that happened, but I think this is based on something that really happened in Denmark, a sort of a, a, a case where this, this kind of thing literally happened. It also reminds me, I mean, I'm sure you know about the sort of satanic panic stuff which happened in America back in, um, <coughs> I think, the 70s. Yeah. Where loads of school teachers were accused of not just sort of sexual abuse, but basically running child sex rings in the service of satan and the so-called experts got involved asked loads of leading questions kids just said what they thought they were meant to say and had very common stories because they're all being asked the same questions and then talking to each other afterwards which is what happens in this movie yeah he's actually his innocence is is proven by the fact they all have the same story which can't possibly be true because they all say he took him down to his basement, and his doesn't his house doesn't have a basement, so no, it's it's flawed. But this is this is the kind of thing that happened in that satanic panic stuff, which actually you can draw a line for a lot of issues in American society from from that issue, and that's that's what this film reminded me a lot of. Um, and this, the 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 unique thing about the film was is that well we know he's innocent; it's never in doubt. <laughs> it's, um... No, it's the and he's never even like puts himself in like the vaguest of, like situation where it could be like construed that he did anything. He shuts it down straight away because she gives him the little gift, and he tries. She kisses him on the lips, and he's like, you know, you can't do that. It's not not right. And he and she takes this sort of like rebuttal as to sort of like basically uh, make this make this claim and all the while over the course of this year while his life is going down the pan she has no clue what she's done her parents are like constantly like defending her and and saying you know it's you did nothing wrong you did nothing wrong and uh, you know the reason you can't remember is because you've of the trauma and she has this such a childlike outlook like when his uh, dog gets murdered and she's so and they see him like wandering out the supermarket and it's all like she's like where's fanny and like no one has the heart to say that like the dog's been murdered <coughs> by the local vigilantes well didn't you get the feeling that clara's mum was the one who'd gutted fanny i didn't <laughs> I I've think never I think that, but... so, so. So she's in the truck with with um, what's his name Theo, the, the yeah. his mate um, Thomas Bo Larson, who apparently was piss ass drunk through the whole filming, and it's a fake beard, and they could barely keep it stuck to his face the whole time. <laughs> but apparently he's good mates with. Uh, I think he's 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 quite a famous Danish actor as well. So I guess he just adds gravitas to it. But yes, he's in that, and Clara's in between them in the truck, and I think the. To my mind, Clara's mother's sort of answer to that question and the way she kind of avoids it makes me think that she was actually the one that killed Fanny because I'm guessing Clara's going on and on about the fucking dog the whole time because she really liked the dog and that's all she wanted to do was walk the dog and not step on the cracks. And that's that's what led to this whole thing. So, yeah. And, and and I do quite like the character Theo I quite like because he's obviously utterly conflicted because he wants to believe his daughter because we all do right we want to believe our children but this guy is his bestest friend in the whole world and you know there's this thing that, that Theo you know Lucas says to him you know, look in my eyes you can tell when I'm lying and there's this yeah it's, it's really it's a really man sort of thing, isn't it? That they can't both properly talk to each other, yet they are incredibly close. And even through this, you know, this crisis, you know, however much Lucas tries to get through to his best friend, um, Theo's really conflicted. But at the end of the day, that friendship is the thing which I think finally helps, up to a point anyway. 
Yeah, because these aren't these aren't intellectual types. Even though one um, his other friend lives in that big stately uh, ma- mansion, the big chateau where they uh, <coughs> the fr- carry the out friend, the friend which was barely in it, and then suddenly says, "Oh no, we know you're innocent. I've got this lawyer to come and help you. My dad or something is a lawyer. He's going to help you." And... Well, yeah, his son's um, godfather. That's right. Yeah, but yeah, it it does. I do, I do feel if I've got a flaw with the film, it is that it, it it does all this great build up and then it hurries through that bit a little bit because it's desperate to get back to the church scene a year later <laughs> or, or late, yeah, that that church scene where the whole where his final breakdown happens and yeah I I know, I know the point is. He was very quickly cleared. It just wasn't hard. The police had him in for like twenty minutes. I don't think they even needed lawyers in the end, did they? Um, no, because um, I remember uh, uh, Brun, who's played by Laza Raffin. Mm-hmm. He, he he has so many like um, great lines, especially in the the third part of the the film when he gets released from uh, prison. They go back in his house and. Because it's this thing, they, the police just basically turn up and, and take Lucas away. They don't even give his son a key. So his son's like left to wander the streets trying to find someone to take him in on Christmas, which is real nice. Mm. Uh, the dog's been left in. And when they go in and he's got his, like, his, uh, his cousin's with him, and he's like, right, you go start digging the basement. <laughs> or when... Um, when Marcus goes uh, goes into his house and he's like introduces his sisters, he's like the they're eating nuts. And he's like, oh, we call them Chip and Dale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he's. I I mean I liked his his character. I just wish they had been more sort of prominent. But the main sort of relationship here is between Lucas and Theo, and as you said already, this isn't like a scholarly relationship. These are just like guys who just like to. Work hard and then go and hunt and the and, hunting side and, of thing. And I jump into freezing water, start bollock naked. Oh yeah, yeah they have it, their it's... polar bear club at the <laughs> yeah. uh, start. <laughs> Although I did notice that that Mads Mikkelsen doesn't. He stays fully clothed the whole time. <laughs> no, but I think he's been making up for for that by being naked in pretty much every other film. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's why I was a bit surprised. I thought, oh, I'm sure Mads is going to get his ass out again, but no, and. Yeah, and, he, and at the end of the film, you know that that gang is back together again. But I don't know how you repair that relationship. I mean, some things have been said, punches have been thrown, accusations have been made. Um, and whilst whilst I I fully believe that Theo and Lucas have made it up, some of what the other people did, I don't know how you'd ever repair that. There's still that element of distrust, though, even when we get to the end. And I mean, Lucas himself, over the course of his film, is put through the ringer. Mm. He's this is a small town, and when you basically go to your local supermarket, and they're like, "We're not going to serve you because of what you did," to the point that he ends up getting in a fight with the butcher, um, because they they beat him up, and he goes back in, and then goes and headbutts this big butcher, which was a really great scene. And you just realise that it's like you're this town is so small that they have the one supermarket and suddenly you can't go anywhere. And anywhere you do go, people are like, look, there's the guy. He's the one who went and molested that, that child. And and it does make you wonder why he just doesn't leave. But of course, he'll never be able to get another job in his career. You know, he, he's, he's, he's now marked forever in the teaching industry. I mean, he's not just, te- you know, he works in kindergartens. Because I think he's already there because yes, the school right. he used to work for had closed, hadn't it? I think he talks about that at the beginning, yeah? So he's he's already in an industry where there's probably limited opportunities. Anyway, I mean, you don't meet many 40-year-old men who work in kindergarten, right? I don't know if that's true in Denmark, but it's not really that true here. They, they Of course they exist, but... Normally, sort of a level up, you'd find them. So it's not—it's normally a very feminine um, industry to work in. So yeah, he's—he's he's, yeah. I just, but obviously, again, it's about his son, isn't it? That throughout it all, yeah. he just wants to live with his son. <laughs> That's the thing. That's why he doesn't get away. I suppose. That's why he—he—he he, he stays where he is because he's living onto this hope that he can 
raise his son and they can live together and he seems a genuinely nice guy that's the that's the it's, even it's at his lowest ebb pride to lucas the fact that he knows he hasn't done anything mm. wrong, wrong and if he can just convince everyone else that he hasn't done anything wrong and he's also got this this sort of presence that he's just going to let you let things take their due course that the facts are on his side and that once the police investigation has been completed that he's going to be cleared but by the time the police are involved the town have already made him an outcast and i think this is also where the film really sort of excels in the fact that we switch the focus when lucas gets um arrested to his son marcus who's played by Lars fogelstrom and gives a really phenomenal performance in here as we get to see we get to see so many more aspects of like how his father has now become this um outcast and by proxy he's also been outcast as well they sort of tar them both with the same brush because when he uh goes to the supermarket and he's sort of like he's the uh magic comes out it's like oh you and your father can't shop and he's sort of like why can't we shop here anymore and it's all like because what your father did now you be gone um so and i think it's a performance here is is really good especially because whereas lucas it it sort of like bottles it all up marcus is like the opposite he's like has these violent outbursts he goes and punches the uh the big guy in the group called Tiny. And <laughs> yeah, he's a and he's a big guy. <laughs> he's like seven foot tall. <laughs> we also realise that uh, that the Danish approach to child rearing is that if a child slaps you, you full on pace them back. I know. I mean, I'm guessing Marcus is about 13, 14 years old. But and, to be slapped by a and, child, and, yeah, yeah, a man. no, ab- absolutely. Yeah, this is. I mean. He, Marcus does draw blood, but yeah, I think you pick your... He, this guy fucking pummels him. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Whereas Lucas is a very controlled person, obviously genuinely nice, but probably isn't as in touch with his emotions as he might be. Um, where Marcus is the one who's driving those conversations forwards, he's going and asking people about why are you doing this why don't you believe my dad my dad hasn't done anything what's your evidence marcus is the driver and then you know and obviously the link up with his godfather who is the one who sets the actual sort of legal process in motion whereas whereas lucas will probably just sat in his basementless house for the rest of his life as an outcast, wouldn't he? If, if it yeah. wasn't for marcus and by the time we get to the end i mean it's, it's clear some people in the village still don't believe that he is innocent as we uh, see that uh, this the guy in silhouette who uh, fires a shot at him and if you get the the blu-ray dvd there is an alternate version where he's actually shot and left to die in the woods which is mm. i mean i was happy with the the open-endedness of the one that we get i didn't need to see him get shot um i thought just that that warning shot itself like you know just that there's still the distrust I mean- there I mean, my impression that that is Torsten, um, Clara's dad, uh, brother. You know, the one that showed the porn. I just, it just looks like a younger man, doesn't it? And the fact that he misses makes me think. Well, it could mean other things as well. But there's this, there's a scene before where he, where where they're celebrating oh, yeah, giving Marcus like, his gun. This grum belongs to your grandfather who missed many deer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of funny. But and he looks around, and and then all the other sort of men of the village sort of give a look to Mar- uh, give a look to um Lucas and sort of give him a nod or, or but you don't know whether this is a I'm sorry or hello or I've got my eye on you and yes and so uh, Lucas gets sort of separated off from everybody else he's hunting this deer and yeah and then a shot hits a tree misses him and then he looks up and there's a there's a sort of a clearly a male character running away with the sun, you know, obscuring who it was. My assumption was it's Torsten and looking at what other people have thought, I think I don't think that's a particularly original opinion. But like you say, the alternate version is it doesn't hit the tree, it hits him in the chest and he dies. But I I prefer I prefer the ending as 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 published because it means he's going to spend the rest of his life in fear. I don't necessarily want him to spend the rest of his life in fear, but that 
just me it just sort of story wise that's much more interesting but he's never going to be clear of it's this. definitely better than like the traditional Hollywood ending where everything's everything's all roses at the end I mean yeah there, there, there's a third potential ending isn't there where everything's wonderful and Clara and Marcus grow up together and end up getting married and Lucas gives them away at a, at a wedding you know that, that would be the that would be the, the Hollywood sequel version wouldn't it or something like that but I, it's it's got that it's got that, I'm going to say Nordic noir, but obviously it's not Nordic. But it's got that scand- Scandi darkness to it, which is, you know, like I said at the beginning, that's the kind of thing that really appeals to me. And I'm just really annoyed at myself for taking 10 years to get round to watching this. What else have I not seen? <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> Certainly, as I said, we now have a platform to start crossing off mm. at least the foreign cinema elements of your list. I mean, yeah, I don't know how many podcasts we're going to have to make to to cross off everything on the watch list, but no, no. But it's just literally people back in 2012. I rem- literally remember people saying, "Have you seen the hunt?" It's so good. And to be fair, I probably didn't really know who Mads Mikkelsen was at the time, so. I mean, this is fairly contemporaneous, I think, with his... Um, it's before um, yeah. Hannibal, but it's... I think it's fairly contemporaneous with his role in um, Casino Royale, which is like the last James Bond film I actually liked. <laughs> so, which has, tells you something how long ago it was. But, um, yeah, so, so so good. It reminded me, so the other thing, so I drew the illusion with the Satanic Panic stuff, but there's a there's a Korean film, which is something I'm thinking about bringing to the show, our other show, but I won't because it's got such thematic, won't for a while because of the thematic similarities with this one, called A Girl at My Door by um, female director July Young, um, starring Bae Doon-ha. Um And A Girl at My Door, and I think I've, I think I've put it in, our list of you know 250 films and I almost certainly have but in that Bejunar plays a policewoman who um is assigned to a rural Korean village stop me if it sounds similar <laughs> and, uh, and uh basically gets accused of molesting a child although it's a very different because a uh, Bejunar's character is a lesbian, so there's this whole kind of people accusing her of things, of doing naughty things, or, or, or taboo things, which are really based on the fact she's a lesbian. She's also an alcoholic, and this is a lovely thing where you see her for half the film chugging down these bottles of water everywhere she goes, and then you realise that it's actually full of vodka, and she's been chugging down booze the entire time. Um, but the the child... Which is a little bit older, and you'll know the child because the child is this girl from the Man from Nowhere with one bin. Right. <laughs> so it's the same show. But yes, she is a manipulative person, and she actually what happens is she accuses her father of abusing her, which is the way of getting out. But he, he's a he's a dirt, nasty piece of work, but he didn't do it. And actually, at the end, it's much more open ended, where the Bejunar's character is actually a pedophile herself. Right, so I won't ruin it for you. I've put a lot out there, but it felt very similar to that. But in in the girl at my door, it's all much greyer. We're not, you know, a lot more is left up to us. Motivations are a little more um, hidden, and we're led to draw our own conclusions. And that some of that's about bringing our own biases and things out against against certain sorts of people, um, and. In a way, that's a more interesting film. But I liked the way, I think I've said it about 18 times now, but I really like the way, there's never any doubt. Lucas is not, it, 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 he's not the problem here. It's small town, it's the justice system in Denmark, it's the way, that, that, that complicated thing about we have to believe the children, but we shouldn't believe the children, but we have to believe the children, you know. So it's, yeah, I mean, if, it's gonna, if I was going to do the old pairing up, watch a girl at my door alongside this, which sort of similar stories, but going completely different directions. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, the film itself is, uh, 
very sort of scarcely uh, shot. I mean, there's not a lot of fancy sort of photography in this film. It's, it just keeps it, the focus purely on the story and the fact that it's such a small town setting as well. It's got a real sort of simplicity to it. So, But does this make you want to look into any of Vinterberg's other films? I mean, obviously he was a key component of the Dogma 95 movement, which also includes like Lars von Trier, Christian uh, Levig, and uh, Soren Karg Jobson. Jacobson. Yeah, I'm, I mean, he was the um, he was the main man, um, along with Lars von Trier, that that wrote the original um, manifesto, or what was it? What did they call it? Um, I've got it. I've got it here somewhere. What did they call it? Apology or something? Um, it was a it was a manifest. Yeah, the Dogma Ninety Five uh, Manifesto. Vow of Chastity. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, the vow of chastity. Uh, um, I mean, this film does not... I mean, yeah, it, it breaks, I would say, at least eight of the Dogma 95 rules. But again, they were breaking the wrong rules when they, when they put it out. Yeah, they, so. they were. Um, so the film that he's probably was most famous for before this was the very first Dogma film, which is Festen, The Celebration which I haven't seen, but I think I will go back and look at it, but I know that is absolutely adherent to the to the dogma rules. Um, I was trying to think, do I know any of the... I know he's done an adaptation of Far From the Madding Crowd, um, and it, obviously he was, he's the director of Another Round, so I guess I that's another film I need to get round to watching, if you excuse the pun. Yeah, um... Another Round is, is a really fantastic film. I'd completely forgot he'd uh, directed Another Round. And it was really the second film that he's uh, received an Academy Award nomination for. Obviously, with The Hunter, received mm. an Academy Award nomination. And he also got nominated for Best Director uh, for Another Round, making him also the first Danish filmmaker to be nominated in the Best Director category. Uh, but he uh, did win the Academy Award for Best International Feature Film. Um, Another Round is uh, is is obviously very totally different than this film. Is it's obviously about four friends just seeing if, if they can stay permanently drunk, um, and on that sort of like base level where you gain confidence, but you're still able to perform. I see Thomas Bo Larson's in that as well. So he's spent eighteen eight years pissed out. <laughs> It's like um, Jan, uh, Jan Vincent Michaels. Jan Michael yeah, Vincent. Yeah, Jan Michael Vincent. I was trying to get the three words in there. Yeah, Jan Michael Vincent, um, who spends a lot of his later career just belligerently drunk. Um, which is astounding, really, when you consider, like, when you look at his early films like Big Wednesday and The Mechanic and uh, Damnation Alley, and you realize like this is an actor who's like can go toe for toe like the best of the day, like Bronson, and just has charisma to spare. And now he's just like an angry drunk, <laughs> um, mm. to the point that he didn't bother like learning his lines for extra two, and just had to have them like on big cue cards, like off screen. Yeah, alcohol is a terrible thing. Um, I just sort of back to your question. Um, I think there, there, there are directors in that group. Like I haven't seen enough Lars von Trier. Films, I've recently too, right? got into von Trier. I, I know you went. Yeah, you went into a little bit of a um, kick. Uh, a little bit of a thing we we spoke about last year, weren't you? You were. Yeah, you were I mean, with von Trier's work, I mean, it's sort of like focused more towards his more recent stuff, so things like Nymphomaniac, uh, Meliconia, which I think is phenomenal. I'm not so interested in things such as like The Idiots, because I uh, had had my period where you're watching like shocking and controversial things like that, and A Razorhead and Freaks and mm. Blue Velvet and Betty Blue, all that uh, sort of thing. And as of The Idiots was obviously part of that, but I've had no real desire to revisit and even more so now that if you like try to talk about the idiots and it just becomes more more a hot button topic than people wanting to discuss the film um, because you know people pretended to be mentally handicapped is much viewed in much the same way that like American Pie is it's sort of like it was perhaps okay for the time but you can't do that now 
well, it probably probably wasn't okay at the time either. Oh but, yeah, there were people really happened. pissed at the time. <laughs> I remember screaming. I'm, it was sort of like they were like say they had this apology and it's like um, they were like saying, "Oh, the, you know, it's got these controversial themes and uh, there's also scenes of a sexual nature, which is probably the reason you lot are all here." So, <laughs> but I. I've got like you know, Vontra. I'm just looking. I don't ever think I've seen one of his films. Yeah, I do have both Dancer in the Dark and Breaking the Wave somewhere in the flat, which I just never got round to watching. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm adore Bjork. I really want to see Dancer in the Dark, but I do know that both those films are fucking miserable, and that's probably why I've never had three hours to uh, really throw myself into them. Yeah. Um... I'm I'm just looking at at, at this uh, now. I mean, the Antichrist I think is is a phenomenal piece of filmmaking, but at the same time, it's very overshadowed by the acts of violence are in that film. People want to talk about, it, and they're very sort of very minor when you watch the film. They've sort of greatly exaggerated by any p- people who want to talk about the film. But I think Antichrist and Milicona are both fantastic films. I really enjoyed the house that Jack built, um, and I enjoyed the kingdom which was his uh, series that was adapted in the u.s by stephen king into kingdom hospital um and uh the kingdom is actually the whole saga of the kingdom is available in mumbai as well but i'm just uh seeing someone else i haven't seen dance in the dark but i know that uh him and bjork didn't get on well i've not seen dogville oh i think i think he basically abused her <laughs> but she is meant to be rather remarkable in it um she's also in the norseman as well is yeah she? she plays a witch I didn't know that. which okay. i suppose is not too far from what she does in her oh, i i adore bjork and i won't have a word said against <laughs> even when she's terrible <laughs> she's great isn't she uh i saw her live once and Sort of post unfortunately I never saw her in the sugar cubes but I saw her during post you know the album post and obviously she'd had the massive hit with um, it's so so yeah. quiet and guess what song she didn't play and guess what song 99 other people wanted her to play <laughs> and 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 somebody who just objectively rejected the fame of that song at the height of her sort of 90s fame I just loved her for that but she was amazing. She's a little pixie genius, and the sugar cubes are amazing as well. Uh, sugar sugar cubes were the most remarkable thing about the sugar cubes was Bjork, and then you had some weird guy just screaming over the top. Einar, Einar, I will shit my pants. <laughs> That's how I remember you had this really interesting music and this this cute little pixie girl, and then some guy screaming over everything. Oh, uh, I'm always even even now when she puts something out, I'll um. I'll give it a listen. I don't understand everything she does, but she's fascinating. You and Heather Baxendale should have a conversation. Well, it, it does seem quite that often with Heather. It often seems that we have crossover. We'll get her on the show. And, and we're, uh... we have to, it's usually around music, I seem to think, that, that we often say, oh, yeah, I really like that as well. I think she was excited as I was about the David Bowie Moonage Daydream film. I'm sure we uh, bonded over that. So, yeah, for sure. We should do that, but yes. But now you've got me excited about finally getting the Northman. There's another film. I mean, I haven't waited ten years to see that, but a director I really like. More than that, a director I love, actually. Um. Um. So yeah, definitely, definitely watch that. Especially now, you know, even if it's five minutes of Bjork. Yeah. Um, so I would say it's a pretty big recommendation for uh, 2012's The Hunt from both of us then for this one. I I think so. I think um, I mean so, so far it's it's been a really good three films full stop, hasn't it? <laughs> so it's going to be real interesting to see uh, whether you buck the trend with your next pick, Stephen. Yeah, it is. So, um. I mean, we've had a film about a man falsely accused of being a pedophile. We've had a film about um, a violent revolution with really unhappy endings, and a and a and a tale about co- co- colonization and one man's descent into madness while sailing down a river. So I thought I would go for something a little cheerier. <laughs> 
Um, but also a chance to talk about one of my favourite directors. So this is a film I have seen. So again, um, I don't know if you've seen it as well, but I'm, I don't think we can do a world cinema show without eventually reaching Pedro Almodovar, who you know is obviously one of Spain's greatest modern directors, still working now. And I was having a look through his twenty-five odd films and thinking which one. Are, are, are you an Almodovar? No, fan and or? this was one of the one of those directors that when we obviously talked about doing a world cinema film club, um, that he was going to be like one of those directors that we really wanted to cover because I know that you're obviously an established fan. I'm aware of his work, but I've never seen any of his work. So whatever you watch is yeah. going to be brand new for me. Okay, so like I said, I had there's an obvious choice in that we do The Skin I Live In, which is almost like a horror movie, and I think would definitely you'd definitely get a kick out of it, and it's got Antonio Banderas and stuff like that. But actually, what I'm going to go for is 2006's Volver. Um, so starring Penelope Cruz, who's in most of them, to be honest with you. Um, and it's a sort of comedy drama, which is sort of something that Amorovar does really well. But I do think it is far less problematic than a lot of his other films. Some of his other films, I do sometimes feel we have to make excuses for Amorovar because sometimes what he thinks is funny isn't what the rest of us think is funny. It's yeah, a bit like what we just talked about, the idiots, to be honest with you. But yes, it's a glorious film, but I think it is... It has all the hallmarks the, 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 of, of an our film, and I think it's fairly easy to watch. So, um, yeah, Volver from 2006. Okay. Um, so that's obviously coming up on our next show. Um, but as always, thank you for listening. Thank you to my co Stephen. Uh, as always. Uh, if you would like to hear us talk about more world cinema, in particular Asian cinema, check out our main show with the Asian Cinema Film Club, uh, which is more than likely where you would have found this show in that feed, so you can uh, check out our show there. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, we're under the Asian Cinema Film Club there, and uh, you can also check out our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com, which has got a host of uh, great episodes there, including seasons about Sonny Chiba and not Sonny Chiba. This has got a bunch of shit, Austin. But um, make sure you join us next time as we'll be looking at 2006 Volva. But until then, good night. Mm-hmm.